may not be something that you actually need to improve. Sometimes when you ask the question and the person tells you the thing, it may be that they misunderstood something and that it's not about you changing, but about a clarification of what you were doing or talking about or what was supposed to be happening. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Sabrina Braham, author, executive coach, and someone who has helped me profoundly over the last number of years. For almost 30 years, Sabrina has coached leaders to successful excellence in communication, career development, and business growth. She's helped me personally at many pivotal times in my own career, when we had a new child and deciding what kind of parent and entrepreneur I wanted to be, ways to think about I wanted to grow personally and professionally. It's been a pleasure to spend time with her over many years in some of the most crucial moments to help me find a path forward that aligns the aspirations and career goals I had. This show is especially interesting because she shares her own story, how she came to where she is today, starting in maybe the most unconventional of places, but allowing her to develop a growth mindset to believe and create something she thought maybe never possible. You're going to love this show. You should really look at if you're looking for coaching to get in touch with Sabrina. She's helped me and many people in my network exceed our expectations of what's possible of ourselves. So let's get started and hear how it began for her. I grew up in East Los Angeles. I had food insecurity sometimes. I grew up poor, and I was not expected to do anything in school. The school didn't expect it either. So I got C's and D's and F's. I got married when I was 17, had two babies right away. And when my daughter started kindergarten, I decided I would go to the community college And that's where I got my first A, which became almost addictive. So I ended up graduating from the community college with straight A's, but lots of units because I had to do a lot of makeup classes because I hadn't learned anything in high school. I got over to Cal State Fullerton University, and the first week of the school, I flunked a test in every single class. And I went home, I told my husband and my parents, and my dad was kind of like Archie Bunker. He was a union guy, and he said, honey, it don't matter if you don't have that kind of smarts. You've got street smarts, and I can get you a job, a union job with a bus station, so you don't need to worry about it. So my mother, my dad, and my husband all agreed that, yeah, I wasn't that smart, but I was going to be able to get a job. With that Lack of encouragement, I walked into my social psychology teacher's office. His name was Don Schweitzer. And I said, I'm here to check out of your class. And he turned around and he said, I don't remember ever seeing you before. What class are you in? I said, well, I'm in your 10 o'clock class. He said, you haven't ever asked a question in the class. Why is that? I said, I'm not smart enough to ask a question. And I'm checking out because I'm not smart enough to get educated. And he said, have you ever taken an essay exam before? I said, no. He asked me a couple of other questions. He goes, you're not checking out. You're going to be in my class tomorrow. And every time you're in my class, you're going to raise your hand 
and ask a question because there's no stupid questions. And you're going to be in my office twice a week, and I'm going to show you what to do to graduate. He ended up being my advisor and forced me to take all the hardest classes, all the hardest psychology classes. In other words, I wouldn't graduate unless I did it. He totally believed in me, and I graduated with my bachelor's degree. I had a 3.8, and in my master's degree, I ended up having a 3.9. But it was a big turning point for me because he was the first human I had ever encountered that believed in me, and it almost gets me choked up right now. Nobody believed I could do anything, and I went along with what they were saying, and here was a really smart man that was head of the department who thought I was smart and would not buy any of the beliefs I had about not being smart. And that was a turning point for me. Wow, what an amazing story. It's just so inspiring to hear these sorts of examples. And, and many parts of that story are inspiring, both where you began the conditioning almost had sort of was baked in around you about these limiting beliefs and yet your persistence to sort of put yourself in uncomfortable spaces. But it also exemplifies in many ways this notion that as motivated as people are, everyone needs help and encouragement and support around them. And finding people who can see things in you that sometimes you can't see yourself or that you're, you know, you've so much weighing on you that you don't and can't sort of believe in yourself it's inspiring, you know, and it's such a fantastic story for you to share, because when I think of people who play the role of you described of this, you know, this lecturer, this teacher, that's exactly what I think of you when you're working with people, which is, again, it's fascinating, you know, to hear you share that story in the way you like you've helped me, you've helped a lot of people I know in my network through coaching or giving them advice, encouragement or helping them find breakthroughs to get to higher performance. So it's also nice to see how you've landed in a, if you will, a career that is essentially gifting that back to people in your own way. So tell us a little bit then about how you sort of started to learn that about yourself, right? Like, obviously, there's a lot of things you've unlearned in your life. You know, you're fantastic at doing that. You're constantly someone I see who's like reading things, trying things, experimenting, doing stuff. But talk a little bit then after those moments where you sort of went out into the world, if you will, after all your academic time, and then started to figure out how to help to what you're doing today, coaching, like literally like executives, advisors, innovators all over the world. So share a little bit about what you had to sort of learn and unlearn along the way there. Yeah, well, at first I became a psychotherapist and I started getting presidents of companies as clients and they began asking me organizational questions and I gave them answers they liked. So I started doing coaching and organizational work. And then I had a friend who worked, got a huge project at Stanford University. And I went to work for her as a coach and a consultant and worked at Stanford University for, we worked there seven years. And I was always amazed that these heads of the departments who were postdoctorates I, with a master's degree, was giving them suggestions or advice, and they were taking it. So that was really interesting. I totally believe that anybody can learn to feel good about themselves and that there are some very easy things that you can do to start to do that. So I would say for me to begin with, it wasn't easy. I did therapy, and I remember asking the therapist, am I ever going to feel okay? 
And the woman said, yes. And I said, well, when's that going to happen? And she said, well, you'll know. What I can tell you now is she didn't know when I was going to feel okay. And she didn't really know how to do that. So one of one of my drivers in life is to help people feel better and to reach their potential and to do things and to not be stuck in those old beliefs. I think therapy is interesting and you don't have to spend a lot of time in therapy to feel really good about yourself. You can actually start changing that right away. Yeah, so like I, I've sort of experienced this in many ways firsthand, right? From working with you, some simple examples for me were when we were having our second kid and it was just coming in, like COVID hadn't just, it was just about to happen. And I was also starting Nobody Studios at the time. And, you know, so I was in this conflict of family life, you know, wanting to keep building this business. What did I want for myself? What was going to make me a good partner? Like all of these things were sort of floating around my head, right? And there's, I don't know, tornado of these ideas, right? And yet... That was one of these great moments where I found working with you really helped me get a lot of stuff like out of my head and in front of me and gave me a better picture of actually what I what I wanted to go and do. So for me at that time, it was a very important part for me to sort of calibrate and set myself on the path that I wanted to go, which which was fantastic. Now, many people when you I get this a lot all the time, when they hear words like therapy. When they hear words like improvement or performance improvement, they naturally think of coaching as this sort of problem or therapy as this, you've got a problem. And people struggle then to say, oh, that's not me. I don't need to go to therapy. I don't need to coach. There's a lot of these sort of fixed mindsets, things that are limiting beliefs, again, I believe, for people who are sort of in those spaces. So can you share a little bit about for business leaders maybe who are struggling with this concept? Because I can tell my stories all day, but you sort of are someone who's like, again, guiding people in this way. So can you share a little bit about, you know, what is important about navigating this and starting to sort of give yourself a chance to actually get better? Yeah, well, the first thing is 97% of all CEOs in the United States have coaches. So all your top people have coaches. Think of the coaches the same as you would for a sports team. There's a great bunch of YouTube, I think it's on Netflix actually, it's called The Playlist, and it's four different athletic coaches and how they coach their teams. And really, a good coach is the same as a sports coach. So as a coach, I'm not wanting to dive down into why, what I'm wanting to do is help you to shift whatever you're doing so that you maximize your potential and the results you're getting. So it's not about what went wrong and why is that happening? It's, hey, how do we shift it right now? And one of the biggest things that helps us to shift is to develop a growth mindset. And you know, when we think about learning and unlearning, the thing that we need to unlearn is the fixed mindset, the belief that things are set a certain way. If we fail, that's it. We can't improve. We need to learn that, no, if we fail, we have an opportunity to learn something wonderful that is going to help us to do even better. And that if we don't know how to do something yet, 
it's a not yet. It's not in stone. It's something that we can keep changing. So great to hear you sort of help frame that a little bit for people, right? Because they, they struggle a lot with these ideas and have very many limiting beliefs. For me at the time, one of the more recent times we were working together, I was in that moment, right? I was almost building up this anxiety in myself about this sort of internal culture clash, if you will, like keep being an entrepreneur, support my family, be around for my kids, my partner, all, all these sorts of things, right? It was just like this spinning around and it was just building frustration, anxiety, and so forth within me. And I needed to get out of that spin in a way. But there's lots of people that are in different contexts in companies, right? Some people are maybe trying to learn how they just, you know, find their niche of excellence, maybe. Maybe they're trying to understand how to be, they're in a difficult culture where they need to become more politically savvy about how they manage things. They're in all these different types of areas where they're trying to maybe hone a skill or identify like a blind spot. So tell us a little bit about some of those aspects. Like what are some of those things that sort of jump out to you when, you know, you meet people to help them actually get that realization that I can get a breakthrough in this space? Usually there's something that they would like to do that's not happening. The most of the people I'm working with right now are very, very talented. They may have a lot of patents. They've doctor's degrees or multiple degrees. And something isn't working the way they want it to. Maybe they're going into meetings and they're not being listened to when they have a great idea. Maybe they get passed over for promotion or They've been told that people don't like them or their income isn't as high as other people. There's something that's happening that isn't working the way they want, want it to be. Most of us have blinders on. We're, because we're so used to the way we're programmed, we have blinders on and we can't see what's the tweak or the change that we need to make so that things will be better. And that's what a good coach can help you with. I'm lucky. I've seen it first time. Tell people a little bit about how to get started with this, because that is actually, again, it's one of these, as you're describing, I often say this in an unlearn, right? It's an obstacle. As you're describing, you're bumping up against something. It's your performance. It's your pay. It's feedback you're getting that you're, there's something missing, whatever. I'm sure there's people listening on the show right now. If we asked them, like, what are some of these obstacles you're facing? write two or three of them down. I guarantee you, people, some people are probably writing pages and notes right now. How do they get started? What's one of the first steps then when people come to you at, let's just say, like political savvy is a good one, right? Like a lot of these businesses that are, you know, you're trying to work your way through the organization and it's hard, right? Like you might be excellent at execution, but for some reason, you know, you're being passed over or the person who has the charisma and the suave, but no execution capability suddenly gets the promotion. Okay. I'm going to start with one. No matter how long your list is, probably this is the first thing you need to start with. And that is, we all have a voice in our heads that talks to us. And that voice is not helpful for us succeeding in life, mostly. Mostly the voice is critical or complaining. And the more you can notice that voice and you can come up with an alternative viewpoint or you can stop listening to that voice, the better it will be. So yesterday I'm talking to somebody and they said, 
their internal voice was saying that they were not good enough and they were never going to succeed. And I said, okay, so the objective part of you, I want you to ask yourself, is that a helpful piece of information? You're a piece of shit and you're never going to succeed. Is that helpful? No. As much as I hear it in my own head, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's learning to either silence that voice or have the coach that gives you a more objective point of view. Well, I don't know how to do X. Okay, well, objectively, if you want to learn that, then what do you need to do? How do you need to do it? So that internal voice, it's very helpful to begin to calm that down. With political savvy, and I run into this a lot with people who are super bright, they've been so busy studying whatever it is that their expertise is that they didn't pay much attention to other people. And so they don't really know how to connect with them. And a lot of times what they think is, oh, they don't listen to me because they don't like me. They picked him for promotion because it's a good old boy network. It's not that that they're, certainly that's a possibility, but it's much more likely that you haven't been taking the time to really deepen your relationships with people. People need to connect with other people. It's a great reminder, actually, because I've definitely been in those spots in my career, right, where I felt like I was doing excellent work and yet going sort of unnoticed in some respects. You know, I would tell myself, oh, but I'm, I'm not one of these people that like to talk about myself or self-promote or, you know, and that was another not aha for me. politics. They always say, I'm not in politics. I'm not, I'm not a political character. Exactly. You know, and then, but it was actually interesting. And it was when I was working in a consultancy called ThoughtWorks, where I was doing like, you know, work that people who worked with me were like, wow, this is, this is really interesting what you're doing, right? I was showing people how to do iterating prototypes, speaking with customers, customer testing your products, getting really candid feedback on their products, making them better and having like this uptick in results, right, for businesses and so forth. But it tended to be localized to just the people who worked at me because that's what I was doing. I was just working in the project I was on in this company. And it was funny, like it, people would say those things to me like, oh, you know, you should get word out more about what you're doing. And I was like, what? Oh, no, I don't. That's not me. I, I don't need to go to the top of the mountain and toot my own horn and all this type of stuff. Because it just felt like I'm Irish, right? So there's a tall poppy syndrome thing. It's like you, you tell people you're doing anything good, you're just shut down, right? That was one of my conditionings. <laughs> it was interesting, though, because one great advice someone gave me is then that they were like, well, you should write about this. Just write about what you're doing and why and some of the, the results of it. And then just publish it. And then I was like, whoa, whoa hang on, what? No, because I was dyslexic. I was like, a, you know, solid D minus in English literature or whatever. But again, it was one of these things where it was uncomfortable, but I gave it a try, you know, and I published this blog. And then I actually don't know who it was, but whenever I find out who they are, I will thank them. But someone shared it around like the internal sort of network of the company and even externally too as well. And Suddenly then I had all these people who started reaching out to me going, oh yeah, I, I think that too. Or yeah, that's fascinating. Here's how I try to do that. And it became this sudden like lightning rod, if you will, for activating a network of what became relationships that I would start to build with people where I was like, oh yeah, no, you're interested in that too. I've tried this. I've... And to the point where one of my colleagues, his name's Jess Humble. Our Pat Qua was the first one. He encouraged me to submit it to a magazine. 
the article. So I was like, okay. And Pat's also a coach. He's a great guy. And then it going into that magazine led to Jess Humble, one of my other colleagues at the time, who was well, you know, well known in, in the software industry space. He'd written a, a seminal book called Continuous Delivery. He then rang me up and was like, hey, I'm writing a new book. Do you want to write a few chapters? I read this article you wrote. It's great. I'd like you to write a few chapters on this book I'm working on. And then suddenly it created this sort of network effect, if you will, that I could never have anticipated. But it was like super, you know, and a lot of it, as you said, was just like it connected a whole new set of relationships to me that were there that I didn't know. I created a, a, a lightning rod, if you will, for that to happen. And I never felt at any moment that I was sort of like, can I, uh, hi, Sabrina, can I just tell you something that, that I'm amazing at? And like, I never felt that. I just felt like it was activating something that was invisible to me in a way. What did you unlearn by doing that? That's probably one of the big ahas for me. That it wasn't about me telling the world, I know this, I know that, I know whatever. It was actually just putting up a flare to say, I'm interested in this kind of space, which was like early stage product development, prototyping, customer development, like a lot of the stuff, funnily enough, that went on to be in the Lean Enterprise book, right? All about building early stage products. Like that's what I love. And then suddenly there was a whole group of people who were like, yeah, I think that too. And it created like, if you will, like a community, almost like a little niche of people who were, Thoughtworks was a traditionally a big engineering company. I, I honestly, some of the most talented engineers you could ever imagine. They'd all, lots of them had written multiple books on how to build software. Like it was just, it was a fantastic engineering culture. So anybody who wasn't an engineer, they used to joke and go, what do you do then? If you're not writing code, what do you actually do? I laugh about it now, you know, but then suddenly... It was just a, a different way of thinking about how to build better code, better products, spend time with your customers, talk to them, get feedback. And, and I started showing engineers how to do like prototyping and interview customers before they built software, which sounds crazy now. But at the time, engineers just wrote code. You told them what you needed and they went off and they designed it and built it and brought it back to you. You know, So it was fascinating. So for me, it was it was a huge sort of unlearning moment that really what I was doing was trying to connect with like-minded people who had different ideas or similar ideas. It was an accelerator also for my understanding because you all got all these new fresh perspectives or someone going, oh, that's interesting. Have you read this book or have you read this blog or have you listened to that? And suddenly like I had this influx of new information that helped me get even better. That's a great idea, the writing. Also, you can do that same thing by just finding out more about people. You're looking for like-minded people. There's a story about dolphins, you know, in the ocean. If you're shipwrecked and you're holding on to a board and a shark comes, probably the shark's going to get you unless you're surrounded by a circle of dolphins and then the shark won't come close at all. So what we're looking for in our companies are dolphins, are people that are like-minded that are going to have our backs, we're going to have their backs. We're looking for those kinds of people. So the first way to do that is to be intensely curious about somebody else. We talk about active listening, listening to people, but listening with the intent of finding out what are they interested in, what's important to them, what are they excited about, and looking for those shared 
commonalities so that we can support each other if there's an initiative, if we're going up for promotion, that our dolphins can put in a good word for us. So developing those relationships is really important, whether we're doing it through writing or listening and talking or finding out more about what somebody else is really excited about and reading their stories in their papers. So that helps a whole lot. Yeah, you're just reminding me of something I should definitely be practicing more, right, is trying to find out what really matters to people. What are their interest areas in companies, even, even when we're building startups, right? I think helping people understand or understanding people, what they're excited about, like, why are they in our studio? Why are they working on this startup? What sort of makes them tick? I was going to give you two examples of that. I had a woman, she was a manager at a large electronics company. As I talked to her, what she told me was her family owned all the garbage trucks in a whole state. I'm not going to say what state because then you would know maybe who this woman is. But by the time she was 12, she was managing all the trucks that were going out, taking care of everything that had to do with the drivers in the trucks at 12 years old. Well, that was not on her resume, but that was a really big thing that she did. Another woman, she was on the Board of Education for one of the largest counties in California and had been on it for 15 years. And that, she was great. She'd been president of the Board of Education. She'd done all these things. And again, that wasn't on her resume, but it was experience she had that made her a really great leader. She really knew how to connect with people, how to listen to them, how to help people that weren't agreeing on things work together. So that finding out about people, you're going to find a piece of information that maybe they have never even shared with anybody else that can make the difference in your connection with them and even how you might utilize them on some project you're working on. Yeah, it's so true. All I keep thinking about is any one of the hardest projects or assignments I've ever had to do in a company, the thing that made it, let's just say the probability of success higher was the fact I had relationships with people in the company who would maybe go the little extra mile for me or help me in a different way or be more candid with me about what was really going on rather than sort of a blasé bit of feedback. And that was all, that all stems from uh, having a relationship with them at some level. That's a great insight. I can remember, uh, I'm going to call him Brian. He was a manager and he felt like things weren't going well with his people. I think he had about, there were about 50 people, which is a lot, but he had 50 people. And he said, what should I do? And I said, can you schedule one-on-one -on -one meetings with them and ask them how you're doing and what they think would help you to do better? You know, and I really like the one to 10 scale, as you know. So I like some way that you can measure, okay, I'm doing a five or a six or whatever it is. One of his people told me this. They said, when Brian first asked, how am I doing and what can I do to improve? I thought it was total BS. What manager ever asks you how they're doing? But he came back every month and said, how am I doing now? And we got that he meant it. And we started paying attention to what he was doing, noticing that he was improving. He was doing things that worked better. And we just fell in love with the guy. 
because he was so committed to having a good relationship with us. Yeah, no, it's such a great tactic. And obviously from working with you, it's one I definitely aim to deploy, right? It's funny, even yesterday I set up this recurring reminder meeting, whatever in my diary of every six weeks, I have a list of everybody that I think I should be getting feedback from. And it's really just a prompt for me to reach out to maybe a couple of them or at the time and sort of say, look, that's one thing that I've been doing that has really helped and what's something that I could improve and like just build this habit into into the system of, of getting better, you know, and again, a lot of that comes from. It may not be something that you actually need to improve. Sometimes when you ask the question and the person tells you the thing, it may be that they misunderstood something and that it's not about you changing, but about a clarification of what you were doing or talking about or what was supposed to be happening. Yeah, I know I always learn something, that's for sure. There's another part I, I really want to ask you about because I know it's a big focus area for you at the moment and something I'm particularly curious about too. So there's the one-on-one the -on -one personal development, which is great, but you're now finding ways to sort of scale both your impact and then scale people who you know work with you or in your community's impact through masterminds. And I still remember like one of the first times we met I probably was getting towards the end of finishing on Learn. I can't remember. I was like working on the manuscript for sure. And I was sort of talking about like different ways of what the idea was about and, and how we were trying to get better at it. And, you know, you'd, you'd sort of mentioned to me about you, when well, you gave me loads of books and tips and ideas of things that you were like, oh, yeah, that sounds like one of them was Anders Anderson, his focus on deliberate practice and you also mentioned that he was in a mastermind with a friend of yours. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, and now I'm certainly trying to explore the more of a mastermind option for me, as well as maybe facilitating that for others. But you've been doing this for a while now, right? You've got this great masterminds going. So first of all, for people who mightn't be aware what one is, can you just share a little bit about what its purpose is? And then give us a few insights about like why people might want to be interested to yeah, explore that as a mechanism. It's basically getting a group of people together that are committed to their personal growth and development and everybody in the group helping the person that's talking or has some need to see different opportunities or ways of looking at things than they might normally see. And also to just support them if they lose their job or something unpleasant happens, that you have this group that's supportive. It's very, very powerful. I can think of several things that have happened recently. I had one of the people in Mastermind Group shared that he had lost his company $23 million and kept his job, if you can believe it, because he was really talented. But he shared what he had learned from that experience. Another guy in the mastermind group who is has his own company, he's a founder of kind of a smaller company, he just developed a new product. And based on what this guy in the mastermind had said about how he lost the money, instead of ordering 100 prototypes of this new device he was developing, he ordered 10 based on the story of what he'd heard, and the prototypes ended up being flawed, 
and it cost him probably a few thousand dollars. But if he would have ordered the hundred he was going to, he would have lost tens of thousands of dollars. Another person, their business was somebody was offering to buy it, and the mastermind group started asking questions. Masterminds don't decide things for people. They just ask really good questions or share their experiences, what's happened to them. And it just cuts years off your learning curve. And it's like having your own board of directors. Another person in the group, the quality of their product had gone down and he was having difficulty getting the employees interested in improving the quality. In this particular mastermind, all of these people are top leaders, they're directors, vice presidents, presidents of companies, and they just started asking questions or making suggestions, and the guy, it just changed his whole trajectory of what he was doing. He was angry at these people that didn't want to do this, and he ended up finding a way to enroll them and get them to work on their quality in a way that worked for them and worked for him too. The masterminds are very, very powerful. I highly recommend people get into them. Yeah, well, just even those examples you're sharing, I think they're great examples, especially the prototype one jumps out to me personally, because it's one of these classic traps that you can fall into sometimes of, oh yeah, I've got my prototype, sure, I'll order 100. And then this reminder of this sort of whatever, starting smaller or whatever it might be and learning what works and what doesn't before you scale up. Like I have fallen into that trap so many times, even though it's advice I hand out to people all the time. But sometimes it's like this idea that it's like you learn so much through other people's experiences. The other point you really underlined and I think is so true of great masterminds is no one told that person to go from 100 and order five. Like it's their own conclusion. That's sort of just like with coaching. You know, you never told me what to do with my life, but it helped me draw my own conclusions through the, you know, the way you tease it out of people, right? And that is sort of, again, a hallmark for me of what is really important about this. Whether you're coaching, whether you're in a group scenario in a mastermind, it's not people telling you what you should do. It's actually sharing experiences, lessons learned, problems that you're facing, that don't have to be resolved. Like It's not like the group has to fix your problem. Sometimes it's talking it out. Like I'm sure that person who lost 23 million is probably the one place that they felt like they could go to share what happened and how it has it helps other people in the group. You know, like they're fascinating. You orchestrate these, right? How have you started to get that going? And if someone's interested to join one, like what are some of the tips you would recommend that they start to think about or do? So first off, I, I have groups available for leaders. So if you want to contact me at sabrinabrom.com or Women's Leadership Success, and that's for men too, or through LinkedIn, Sabrina Brom at LinkedIn, I'd be glad to talk to you about getting into one of my groups. But you were saying if you want to start your own group? Well, a little bit of both. Let's start with like joining one. And then two, you were going to start one. Let's, let's... Okay, well, if you're going to pick a coach... It should be somebody that you have good rapport with, that you feel safe with, and you feel like the questions they ask and where you go lead you to making better decisions, feeling better about what you're doing. If you don't feel that way, then get somebody else. That's the first thing. 
And it's true for a coaching group too. I mean, first off, it takes a few weeks to get comfortable, but you should feel like people in the group have a growth mindset, that they have good attitudes, that they, this is my feeling, that they have high integrity and they care about other people. And then give it a try and see how it works out. I mean, anybody could start one. So let's say you wanted to start one, Barry, or somebody else wants to start one. Find two or three of your dolphins or people that you feel like are on the same wavelength with you and ask them if they'd be interested in getting together every week or every other week to just brainstorm ideas. It sounds so simple, and yet, like, something, you know, it's, it's funny, you think about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what you should do. You know, I'm just like, it's like an aha for me to go just to get try it out. It's hard to ask, isn't it? It is. It's so funny. I just wrote a blog this week about learning to ask, and one of my, like, I don't often ever like to use Steve Jobs quotes, but the one video I love of him is he talks about when he was 12, and he was really into, like, frequency counters. It's like building computers. So he lived obviously in the Bay Area and he looked up the founder of Hewlett Packard. His phone number was still in the phone book at the time and he rang up his house and he's like, hi, I'm Steve Jobs. I'm 12 years old. I'm looking for some frequency counters. Can you sort of get some from you? And this is the founder of HP laughs and is like, sends him over some frequency counters and he gave him a job in Hewlett Packard for the summer, like working on installing frequency counters in these computers, you know, and it's just a, you know, one of these simple lessons is like, if you don't ask, you'll never know. And sometimes, you know, like, again, a lot of the people who you make progress is by, by being able to ask things that are uncomfortable, that are strange. And, you know, that's certainly uh, one of the lessons, you know, I've constantly uh, had to learn, whether it's everything from raising capital to building companies to getting people to work on problems to Learning how to ask is sort of one of these core skills, especially in entrepreneurship. Yeah, and I, I don't know about you, but growing up, I was supposed to be quiet and not say anything and not ask for anything. So that definitely makes it harder. And one of the things that's helped me is to realize it's okay if you say no. So I can ask you, would you like to get together for dinner? Would you like to do a mastermind group? If you say no, that's okay. I can ask somebody else. I think you have to be okay with no. Yeah, some people, it's not personal. They may have a lot on their plate. Who knows what's going on? But it's okay to ask. Yeah. So looking forward, Sabrina, what are some of the other things you're most excited about, both in what you're working on now and maybe even how you see the sort of realm of coaching sort of evolving? What I'm excited about is there's so many new things that we can hack and ways we can help people get through their limiting beliefs quickly. I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about all of us finding a way to find the humanity in each other and start connecting with each other and stop acting like there's good guys and bad guys. It's so it's so stupid and it doesn't help us. We're all here on the same planet. If we want to survive, if we want our kids to survive, we got to start helping each other. And more than anything, the one thing you can do right away is just be kind to people. Just be kind. No matter who you're talking to, just be kind to them. Even if they're not nice, just be kind.
Well, look, there's a lot of ups and downs going on in the world. It seems like there's more every day at the moment. But again, it is great advice. Whether you're helping a colleague, helping yourself, helping someone you don't even know, I think it's always good to lead with kindness. It's been great to have you on the show and you share your stories and your focus. Again, I've reaped so much reward from spending time with you. So I'm super grateful for that. And I would definitely encourage anybody who is interested in coaching to reach out to you or join one of your masterminds. I can guarantee folks you're going to get a huge lot out of it. So thank you very much, Sabrina, for joining us on the show. You're welcome. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that show, but I'm even more delighted to share the exciting news. I've recently co-founded a new venture studio named Nobody Studios. Now, Venture Studio is a vehicle for the rapid creation of new companies from ideation to acceleration and growth. And our purpose at Nobody Studios will be to de-risk pre-seed stage business ideas. We'll do this by minimizing the time, speed and capital involved in validating truly repeatable and scalable business models before any significant venture investment. We have an audacious goal to start 100 compelling companies over the next five years. And who knows how many beyond that? So if you're interested in radically changing the way work is done, how products are created, companies built and funded, even democratizing the wealth creation and how returns are distributed, this could be the business for you. We're looking for talent, capital, and influence. If you wish to contribute any or all of these, just get in touch. You can follow us on nobodystudios.com, on our LinkedIn page, all the social media accounts, or simply my newsletters and what I'm sharing. We'll be launching a truly innovative crowdfunding campaign, and I'd be honored if you'd be willing to join us on this journey and become a nobody yourself.